We're starting a new series today. It's called Radical Living. It's from the book of James. And today's just going to be an introduction. So I'm going to introduce you to our author. This is a biographical sketch of uh, James. Author Holly Ordway tells her story in her new book entitled Not God's Type, A, a Rational Academic Finds a Radical Faith. Ordway is a highly educated professor of English and literature at a San Diego area community college. Ordway writes, I was a college professor, logical, intellectual, and rational, and an atheist. To her, the Bible was a collection of myths and folktales, no different than the stories of Zeus and Greek mythology and Cinderella. She said it was fun to consider herself superior to the unenlightened superstitious masses and to make snide comments about Christians. She was convinced that the definition of faith uh, was irrational. Holly Ord- Ordway wasn't really looking for God, but she was drawn to matters of faith. She began to see her naturalistic worldview as being inadequate to explain the nature of reality in a coherent way. She realized that her naturalistic worldview did not adequately explain the origin of the universe, nor could it explain morality. Through conversations with a mentor and reading various Christian writings, at the age of 31, Ordway moved from denying the existence of God to becoming um, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Today, she's studying apologetics at Biola University so that she can bolster her knowledge and skill in communicating with atheists. That's her story. A rational academic finds radical faith. So, do you have a story? Last week we heard six stories from those who were being baptized about who they were, how they came to faith in Jesus, and what difference that made. What's your story? Has Jesus Christ intersected your story? Um, Today we meet the author uh, of our book, the book of James. We meet the author, James, and we're going to investigate his story. Uh, so you can follow along your outline if you'd like to take notes. I would encourage you to because I've been told that you're not going to remember more than 5% of what I say tomorrow morning. So if you take notes, that's going to up your uh, the ability for you to remember anything about what I've said. If you don't care what I say, then don't take notes. Here we go. Who is James? Following on your outline, James chapter 1 and verse 1. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we know this much about James. This is the only verse we're going to cover from the book of James today. He is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing this letter, the book of James, to 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And very simply, he's writing to the early Christians outside of Israel. We need to know that this is probably the earliest book written in the New Testament. It's written about 45 to 47 A.D. This is about 20 years before Paul is writing most of his works in the New Testament. This is about 
12, 15 years after the death of Jesus. There are no other New Testament books written. Think about what it would be like living as a Christian without the New Testament. And this is our writer, uh, James. Now, so who is James? Well, there are at least four men named in the New Testament with the name of James. Let's, let's look at who they are. Uh, first, James, the son of Zebedee and the brother of John. This is the one that we often think about right away. He was one of the 12 disciples. Um, he was the brother of John, one of the other disciples. John here writes the Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Kind of important. The J- this James um, was a brother, and uh, you know what? He did not write the book of James. Okay? Uh, how do we know that? Uh, wait a minute. I need to look at, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. I want to show you this, James. As Jesus walked, this is how uh, early in Jesus' ministry, and it's an early call to some of the first followers of Jesus. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, northern Israel, he saw Simon, that would be Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James. That's our James. that I'm talking about right here, not the writer of the book of James, but one of the disciples. Son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So that's one of the James. That's what I want you to see. There are at least four men named James. Here is one of them. Why did he not write the book of James? Acts chapter 12. This is after Jesus went back to heaven. This is after the church got started. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Uh Uh-oh. We have a martyr here. Execution. This James was executed very early in the history of the church. This is not James, the writer of the book of James. Okay? This is one of those things where you're reading along in the Bible and you come and you go past that verse so fast you missed it. James is dead. He's executed. Okay. The next James is James the son of Alphas. I I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you know that James the son of Alphas is one of the 12 disciples because he's one of those guys that you know practically nothing about. James the son of Alphas. The passage is um, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12. This is sort of their official calling. He's already interacted with them. He spent time with them, and now he's calling them uh, for kind of a lifetime purpose. He appointed the 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him, that that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Next slide. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. We just looked at him, the brother of John. To them he gave the name Bonar... Bonar 
I could, I, I could practice saying this, Bonarges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphas. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you knew that. How many times have you read this passage? <laughs> I said I won't ask you. <laughs> um, James, uh, there was two James, and this is one of them. And the only time we see this guy's name is in the list. And it's at least three times that he's mentioned in the list. Whenever you hear about the 12 or the disciples, he's present. But other than that, we don't know much at all about this guy, James, the son of Alphas. Okay. The third one is James, the father of Judas. And I'm just going to throw up. uh, Judas was also called Thaddeus. Thaddeus was uh, a disciple. And... Uh, let's, the passage is Luke chapter 6. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And I know I'm throwing a lot of passages up, and we're, you're, you're, you're getting a, a biographical sketch. This is how you study people. You've got to look at the passage, see what you can learn about each one. This is a list of disciples in Luke chapter 6. This In Luke chapter 6, Jesus went up on the mountain, and he prayed, and then he designated. This is just like the Mark passage, but this is the tail end. Judas, the son of James. We don't know anything about James here. But he was the father of one of the twelve, whose name was Judas, and is also called Thaddeus in another list. And, and Luke does this. So that we know that it's not Judas Iscariot. It's Judas, the son of James. That's why he does it. All I'm saying is, this is not the James who writes the books. Are we okay with that? Let's go on to James number four. James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's half-brother. Why? Because James's father is Joseph and his mother is Mary. Jesus is father is God and his mother is Mary because there was a virgin birth and a miraculous conception. And so we would say half brother. Okay. How do we know this? Galatians chapter one, verses 18 and 19. Let me set the context before you read the passage. This is in the book of Acts. Uh, It happens historically. Uh, This is Galatians, but the apostle Paul has a radical conversion in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's struck to the ground. His life changes radically forever. Paul is a newbie, brand new Christian. He's not this great leader yet. And The book of Galatians fills in some of the information. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem? That's the big church. That's where all the big leaders are of the church during this time. This is where the church got its start in Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. Peter is like the most significant leader in the early church in Jerusalem at first. He stayed with Peter 15 days and I saw none other apostles. That would be the other Disciples of the twelve, only James, the Lord's brother, who is now an apostle. He wasn't in the early days. James, the Lord's brother. This is the writer of the book 
of James. Okay? So what's his story? Um, James grew up in the family of Jesus. James grew up in the family of Jesus. Think about this. What would it be like to have a brother who never did anything wrong? Mom, he never gets in trouble. Why is it always my fault? You know, what would it be like never, never, never did anything wrong? And uh, this is the family that, that James grew up in. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 57. Um, sometimes people don't realize, depends on your background, that Mary and Joseph had other children, at least four sons and some daughters, Okay. Matthew 13, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. What was his hometown? Tell me. Nazareth, thank you very much. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Next slide. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Joseph? The carpenter? Hey, they, they know the answer to these questions. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? Well, obviously, everybody knows that. And aren't his brothers James? They're going by age here. James is the oldest. Joseph, Simon, and Judas. By the way, Judas will write a book in the New Testament called Jude. Aren't all his sisters with us? You see, Jesus had a family and he had brothers and sisters, and one of them was named James. Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Why? Because Jesus came with confidence and authority, and he was speaking the word of God and saying things like, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And they were offended because who did he think he was? He was a little bit uppity in their mind because he was just Jesus. All right? Uh, James did always understand the significance of who his brother was. If you were raised in that family, it maybe wouldn't have been as easy as you would think to know just exactly who Jesus was. Uh, for example, in Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family, Jesus' family, heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he was out of his mind. They thought every once in a while Jesus went off his rocker. They thought Jesus was a little crazy when he said, I and the Father are one. When he said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How would you respond to a brother like that? They thought every once in a while Jesus got weird. You know what? It was uh, C.S. Lewis who said Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, 
or he's Lord. They thought he was a lunatic at times. His, this includes Mary, by the way. Mary didn't have it all figured out in the early days. She pondered things in her heart. She knew he was special, but she didn't have it figured out. Uh, okay. Mark 3, 31 through 35, same chapter. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. See, she was in the group. Same chapter. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Next slide. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus raises the bar. And he's talking about another family, his forever family, a spiritual family, the family of God. And it's about doing the will of the father. John chapter seven. A little known passage, John chapter seven, verses one through five. And after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. That's up north around the Sea of Galilee. He had a significant time of ministry up there, purposely staying away from Judea. That's where Jerusalem is, because the Jews there were wanting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, that's when Jewish people went to Jerusalem. Jesus's brothers said to him. This would include James. You ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. They are spe- they're offering counsel to Jesus. Um, it's probably sarcastic. It's probably tongue-in-cheek. Kind of a little bit of poking fun. Jesus, this is how you probably ought to do it. But the point here is very clear is they don't get it yet. They don't believe yet. That's what I want you to know about James's story. He didn't always believe. He was skeptical. Sometimes he thought his brother was crazy. James came to faith in Jesus in a surprising way. So if you had a brother who said things like, you know, I and the father are one. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, You know, if you believe me, you have eternal life. Suppose, you know, you had brother and then you watched him be crucified. And put in the grave. And then it was like, that's really sad. I mean, he was a good guy, but he was just a little off track, a little off the numbers. And, you know. He got caught up in it, and they they killed him. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 7. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. I hope you never forget how many times I say this. Paul said, This is of first importance. And it is the message of the gospel that Christ died For our sins. This is of first importance that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he did, he paid the penalty for our sins. All have sinned, all of us have sinned. The wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve, and he stood in for us. He was our substitute, he took our place. 
This is of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. They rolled a stone against his tomb, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So Peter, he appeared to Peter alone and he appeared to the twelve, the twelve disciples. Two of them are named James, right? Okay. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, large group, most of whom are still living. Some have fallen asleep. Some have already died at the time of writing. A lot of them are still eyewitnesses. Some have gone on to heaven. Then he appeared to James, not the other two. He's already talked about appearing to them. Then he appeared to James. James gets mentioned alone here. This is James, the Lord's brother. What would that be like? Your brother who grew up in your family, who was a nice guy and who seemed to be kind of godly. Then he went off kind of the deep end. He got really popular. We never could figure that out. And then you watched him be crucified. And oh, what a failure. He was. That's sad. And then it's true. Everything he said is true. James probably just went to the ground in humility before his own brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who appeared in his resurrected body to James. This is going to change everything for James, okay? James's life was radically changed. Fifteen years later, 17 years later, somewhere in there, Galatians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. This is, this is again, Paul writing about his early years as a, as a follower of Christ. For God, chapter 2, verse 8, for God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 9, James, Peter, and John, James, Jesus's brother, Peter and John. The other order is is uh, Peter, James and John. Well, while the James, the brother of John, was still alive in the early years, Peter spent time with those two disciples. Um, but this is not the same James and, and his name is in a different order than Peter's. In fact, it's ahead of Peter's James, Peter and John, those reputed pillars um, these are leaders in the church. The, this is the rock-solid uh, leadership of the early church in Jerusalem. It says, Paul says, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the Jews. Paul is saying that he, you know, Paul had this radical conversion it happened on the road to Damascus in Syria, not in Jerusalem, not in Israel. And so is Paul the real deal or not? Because, you know, he didn't come out of the original group. And the pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John, are recognized, Paul, you're the real deal. We accept you. Um, we bless you. Go and reach the Gentiles. What am I saying? I'm saying James has become a very influential leader in the early church. He was considered a pillar, meaning a man of great stature, rock solid, a major influencer. 
An example of this influence is seen in Acts 15 at the first church council. Now, stay with me. We've looked at a lot of passages. Stay with me. The church in Acts 15 is in crisis. It's a doctrinal crisis, and it's about the gospel. If you mess up the gospel in Acts 15, the church is in trouble. Okay? Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea. That's, where, that's the province around Jerusalem. To Antioch, where the, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What's going on? There's a group teaching that you have to be circumcised to be saved from the penalty of your sins. They're saying the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be circumcised and you can be saved. Now, that's going to create a pretty significant problem for the early church. They have to deal with this. This is a crisis. Acts chapter 15, verses 6 and 7 Uh, Let's just jump to 6 and 7. The apostles and the elders meant to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That's Peter's story in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. And the point is God expanded the gospel to non-Jewish people. And it was only about believing in Jesus. It wasn't about being circumcised. Okay? That's what Peter's talking about here. Now, and now J- James is going to step up to the plate. Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. This is a volatile meeting in the early church. There are leaders from all over. It's a large room full of people, and it's controversial. James says, listen to me. Simon has described, Peter, Simon Peter, has described how God at first showed his concerns by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And uh, and then verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James sways the meeting and keeps the church on course and keeps the gospel pure. And all I'm saying is James has become a powerful, influential leader for good in the church. This guy who grew up with Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus. And then James is mentioned in Jude 1. Jude chapter, uh, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus and a brother of James. There it is. All you have to do is say you're the brother of James. Everybody knows who that is. And he says, a servant of Jesus. This is his brother. Jesus is Jude's brother. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. That's the same thing that James says in chapter 1 and verse 1. He's a servant of Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm brother. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus. The early church writers observed that James uh, and uh, other Jewish historians like Josephus was a godly man. This is outside of what the Bible has to say. He was very influential. He was respected by the Jews who weren't Christians. Um, He was called James the Just for his pursuit of uh, righteousness and justice. He was called Old Camel Knees because he had calluses on his knees. At least that's what the tradition has because of he was such a man of prayer. He was arrested and he was executed in 62 A.D. He was stoned to death in Jerusalem for being a Christian. 
62 A.D. is early. It's before Peter and Paul are executed by about five years. That's James's story. Next week, we're going to jump into the book, uh, especially the first 12 verses. I want to encourage you, read the book this week. Read the book of James this week and be ready for the first 12 verses next week. So what is your story? What is your story? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you come into a personal relationship with Jesus by faith? And I want to just take a couple of minutes here and remind us. Many of you already know what I'm about to say. And you can just pray for me as I say it. I just want to remind you, what are the essentials if you choose to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? First, you need to understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, Romans 3.23, that every one of us is a sinner. All of us. We're in the same boat. There's nobody perfect except Jesus. We've all sinned and come short of the glory. The Bible also says that there are consequences for sin. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Those are consequences. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death, an eternal death, separation from God for eternity. And Jesus called it hell. Those are the consequences for sin. May we never forget it because that's why we are here. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's why you're here. Because the church is the hope of the world. The church is God's plan for world redemption. That's why we're here. And this is the message we have. The great thing, we have this problem that we're sinners and, and the consequences is hell. But the great thing is God provided the solution. That's why he sent his son. For God so loved the world, it was because of his love, he sent his son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it's really simple. It's about believing. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's so simple. Paul talks about it being the gift of God. It's a gift. And God asks us to believe. In 2001, Glenn and Gloria Sims had their taxes done at H&R Block in Sewell, New Jersey. Did you know that? You probably didn't. When they had their taxes done, they signed up for a million-dollar sweepstakes with H&R Block. They never thought anything about it. H&R Block called and said, good news, you have won the million-dollar sweepstakes. They hung up the phone. H&R Block sent them a letter. Good news, you have been chosen as the winner of the $1 million sweepstakes. They threw it away. It was junk mail. H&R Block continued to call and send letters. And the, and they, and the Sims paid no attention. Finally, the NBC Today got a hold of the story. They were going to make a big story about how nobody wanted this million dollars. Just before the deadline was up, Sims answered the phone, got word of this whole thing about uh, NBC Today. And he accepted the gift that H&R Block offered. He accepted the $1 million, and then he was on NBC Today about three days later. You know what? That's what people do with the gospel. It's just junk mail to them. They have an offer. Jesus paid it all. 
It's a free gift, but you have to accept it. You have to take it. You have to receive it by faith. You have to make it your own. As we close this morning, I want to give an opportunity to anybody here who would like to make it their own. You've never done this before. You're not sure where you stand with God. And it's about trusting what God has said about his son. It's about believing. And one of the ways we can do that is through prayer. I want to say a prayer two different times. The first time I want you just to listen to the prayer to see if it makes sense to you. The second time I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and I'm going to pray the prayer a second time. And um, we can all bow our heads. If that prayer made sense to you, you can pray it silently from your heart. But first I want you to hear the prayer. Does this make sense to you? Could you embrace this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me, and I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to invite Jesus into my heart, and I want to ask him to help me to become the person that he wants me to be. It can be just as simple as that. It's not magic. It's about faith in what God has already done. And it's about receiving forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Okay, this time, let's everybody bow our heads. And nobody's going to be looking around. And I want to pray this a second time. And if this made sense to you, I want you just to pray it silently from your heart. But you're talking to God. You're going to mean business with God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. He died in my place. I trust Jesus right now to pay the penalty for my sin. And I understand that I'm forgiven. I don't deserve it. And I invite Jesus to come into my life. And I ask Jesus to help me to be the person that he wants me to be. I need his help. With everybody's head still bowed and nobody's going to be looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand so I could see it? If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you, Father, for the good news. The good news for each of us that we're all sinners and that Jesus died for us. Jesus died for me. I thank you for those people who raised their hands this morning. Those people who indicated that they were placing their faith in Jesus. God, it's my prayer that right now that they might know that their sins are forgiven, that they might have a sense of forgiveness right now. And that they might know that they have eternal life. And that they might sense your presence right now. And God, all of us have a story. And it's not finished. And God, may we seek you and may we follow you. As the story is worked out in our lives. Through your direction and your power and your leading. For Jesus' sake, amen.